0: Hello, good afternoon and welcome to, I believe, the fifth episode of Straight Talking English. My name's Catherine, I'm a qualified English teacher and I'll be talking you through the AQA anthology of poetry and the set English literature texts in my own special and quite unteacherly way. Bit different today, I'm coming to you from Bromley instead of my normal Greenwich. I am house-sitting this weekend so I thought what better thing to do on a Saturday than look at some poetry as I am totally sure everyone does. We're going to have a look at when we two parted by Lord Byron. Um another romantic poet. This time think about romanticism as less being obsessed with nature and more like a rejection of the traditional rules of poetry. Think about it As being a product of emotions and the heart, but against what people thought was an accepted okay thing to do. The rules, science is the best. Think about it as an expression of free spirit. As ever, we're going to start with the context, and oh boy, what a context. Our writer is Lord Byron, the poet described as mad bad and dangerous to know and believe me his whole life reads like a soap opera. Born in 1788 um, family were aristocrats but had absolutely no money and he was born and buried down the road from where I did my teaching practice up in Nottingham. So if you go up to Newstead you can see his grave when he was 10 he inherited the title of Baron Byron so doing pretty good for himself he went to Cambridge and he did he did all right. My favourite story about Byron is that at the time dogs and cats were banned at Cambridge Uni, so Byron bought himself a pet bear, and that tells you pretty much all you need to know. As far as we know, using the modern term, he was bisexual. He had affairs with men while he was at uni, but at the time, homosexuality was very much illegal and generally considered to be wrong with severe sanctions which could include public hanging so he did somewhat cover this up he wrote a poem called child harrod's Harold's pilgrimage which I've tried to read it it's a blooming terrible and became an absolute bestseller he woke up and he was tremendously famous so he's got all this money and he just generally lives this fantastic celebrity lifestyle of drinking partying and basically having dates and affairs with anyone who stood still for long enough The person to whom, when we two parted, is written is called Lady Frances Webster, as far as we can tell. She was married to the Duke of Wellington, after whom the Wellington Boot was named, but also a really famous politician and military leader. They had this sordid affair, it broke up and she went back to Wellington. While the poem doesn't explicitly say it's her, we know they were together in 1816 and we know when it was published. In 1816, he lied and said, oh no, I wrote it 10 years ago to try and protect her identity. In other frankly dodgy Lord Byron stories he may or may not have fallen in love with his half-sister just to get a little bit of Games of thrones e with you he spent all his money so he tried to marry a rich heiress called Annabella the computer pioneer Ada Lovelace is his daughter but because of his constant affairs and the fact he probably still fancied his half-sister his marriage broke up after 1816 he left in England forever. So this poem is written while he was getting ready to just done with England. First place he went was to hang out with Percy Bysshe Shelley, who we've talked about before, and Mary Shelley, his wife he was staying with them in a villa in Italy they had a uh, scary story contest and from that the very start of the story that became Frankenstein he's been he's been around hasn't he he's been around he for some reason decided he wanted to help the Greeks achieve independence in 1823 despite having frankly no military experience he was supposed to lead some attacks like but on they kind of just Bribed his way out of it, sold his estate to help the Greeks achieve independence. Honestly, I've got some questions. I've got some questions. His wife tried to declare him insane before their divorce, <laughs> but not proven. Of course not. I think it's like a dodgy tactic. There is a rumour that if he'd have lived, he may have been declared the king of Greece, but people at the time said that would have been unlikely. He fell ill from a fever so he got sick during the war and died his body was sent back home to England um buried in Eustead there's a memorial in Westminster Abbey and in Athens there is a woman crowning Byron since 2008 the anniversary of his death the 19th of April has been honoured upon as byron day oh my gosh what a life seriously i mean regardless of what we think about his morals and his frank dodginess What a life! It's it's fab. He did only got a memorial in Westminster Abbey in 1969. A statue was commissioned but was turned down by the British Museum, St. Paul's, Westminster Abbey and the National Gallery because he was far too scandalous. So if you've decided that you do want to, you know, pay your respects to Byron, you are gonna have to go up to Nottingham. So let's have a look at the poem we have. Or regular octet so you'd think this would just be like a standard poem everything's the same it's very regular but it isn't at all what about appears to be very regular it's actually something called accentual verse a c c e n t like your accent u a l verse it's commonly used in old english so think pre 1066 and the best example of it is uh, the epic beowulf he chose to use that this is definitely not an occasion of, you know, this is written in the olden days, this is how people spoke. Now, this is how Anglo-Saxons would speak before the Norman Conquest. The reason it's used in Beowulf and the reason he's used it here is because it's supposed to sound like a spontaneous conversation. It's supposed to sound like natural speech but it's hidden within this regular rhyme so we've got this contrast and it's supposed to show uncertainty so we think it'll be one way but actually it's another i'm reading this as being it's respectable on the surface but emotional under the surface kind of signifying his importance of hiding his affair and also him as a person you'd expect him to be a very respectable member of the aristocracy, and And he is, frankly, a terrible human being. It also could be um, a link to romanticism because he's got this expectation that he'll be respectable. But actually, since romanticism is all about subverting that and following your emotions, it reflects this current feeling at his time of writing. We've got these crazy tone shifts. It is a you're hot and you're cold, you're yes and you're no, blah, blah, blah kind of vibe. The first stanza is so bitter and cold. He's got the repetition of cold, colder, silent tears. He's just been broken up and he's using the imagery of the cold to show that the emotions have just stopped. Truly the hour foretold sorrow to this. Or what hour? We don't know. An incident was an omen a some kind of prophecy that it would never work i mean i'm choosing to see this as the hour that she said no thanks Byron I'm going back to my husband but it could be any incident he's talking about just some moment where he realized it would all go wrong the imagery of cold is carried on in the second stanza where he says chill on my brow we've got the foreboding as well the foreshadowing it felt like the warning so the dew of the morning like literally the bits of the blobs of water on the grass as you wake up is the thing that he remembers about this moment when I talk about neutral tones which gives me the opposite emotion I absolutely bloomin' hate neutral tones but I love when we two parted It's the same thing. Remembering this one specific natural moment. The thing about thy fat thy vows are all broken though is interesting. So obviously his partner has made a wedding vow. He could be saying, "Well, you've already broken your wedding vow, so why are you acting so good?" Or it could be that she'd made a promise to him, Byron, "I will love you forever," and then she broke it. So. it could it's really ambiguous, but the use of the vowel because we only really use vowel to mean wedding at the moment rather than like a medieval thing you know I vow to take revenge so maybe he did consider her his wife like having a permanent partnership I don't know the thing about light is thy fame that's that's a weird one isn't it either she's a well known respected person and this is gonna blow over for her well some people might talk she will weather the storm. like think the imagery of like a feather your fame is this light very um easy to like easily absorbs blows or it could be this five minutes of fame like well people are talking about you now but it's not gonna last at all you know in the future you're gonna be a nobody you shouldn't have broken up with me and there's this kind of acknowledgement that I hear your name spoken and sharing it's shame so even though she's maybe the being the one that's gossiped about he's got the same feelings they've still got this connection oh my gosh it all gets worse by stanza three and I said that in iambic pentameter they name thee before me and knell in mine ear a shudder comes over me why wert thou so dear they know not I knew thee who knew thee so well long long shall I rue thee too deeply to tell Nell is interesting because um again the only way that would be used is to symbolize a funeral it's the bell ringing to summon people to church to go to a funeral it is like he's died he's got this repetition again of he cannot speak about it this idea of silence the word silence comes up in the first and fourth stanza but it's i cannot speak it like she's still got this power over him whoever this anonymous they are And remember the pronouns when they're used in place of a name tend to signify power. So whoever these other people are, it causes him to feel like something's died. We've got this questioning, the rhetorical question, why were you so dear? It could be he's questioning the girl like why did I even love you? Or he's questioning himself like why why were you so good to me? Like why were you so nice to me? Like I have to bear this pain now. It's definitely addressed to her with a direct address. But think again about the dashes. We've got this sense of confusion between the meter and the structure. A shudder comes over me. Dash. Who knew thee too well? Dash. The dash indicates an interruption. So it could be these these people have said, oh, have you heard from Lady Frances Webster recently? He shudders. And then there's this interruption between his reaction and what he's feeling inside. Like it causes this change within him. They knew thee too well. So, these people were close To his ex But then it interrupts again to his ruining. rue means regret It interrupts back to his Regret, and I mean is he regretting that he got himself into this sad situation is he regretting himself being with her again it's really ambiguous it's designed to be an expression of his feelings without revealing any identity as i say it is confusing we've got the dashes the rhetorical questions again in the last stanza and the whole thing's cyclical as well when we two parted in silence and tears and then it goes back to in secret we met in silence I grieve he's in this everlasting loop of I love her I remember why we broke up I love her I remember why we broke up and it's fueled by these people talking about it, it his pain is not going away but his silence of uh, when he says how should I greet thee with silence and tears is the silence because he wouldn't know what to say to her is it deliberately showing his loyalty to her that he wouldn't drag her name into this is is it because she's upset him so much he doesn't want to talk to her anymore? I don't know. But by the end, he is speculating about what the future holds for him. And he doesn't see a way out of it. If I should meet thee after long years, so in years and years and years time, I'm still not going to be able to speak to you. It will just be silence and tears i really like this poem there's a sense of irony in it because the whole thing is i'm silent i'm in pain i can't talk about it i can't say that i know you and it's this supreme irony that like he is telling us but he's telling us in such an ambiguous secret way that we would never really know all the thieves and and thighs remember this is not how people in his time would speak think about pride and prejudice think about frankenstein it's a bit more wordy and some of the vocabulary is strange but the thes and thighs are all shakespearean fun fact we know that the is you thou how shall i love thee english used to have a formal and an informal language in the same way that german does now thee used to be the polite and respectful form but you was the rude or informal so there's this great bit in macbeth in the scene with banquo's ghosts where he turns round to these wonderful lords and says you and it shows how mad and disrespectful he is but think a about this for a second. It's all thee, thy, thou. He's being very distant and respectful. The you form he's using deliberately shows the separation. I i do like it because it is this unending misery when he thinks about the future he can only see his own sadness and again it's kind of ironic because let's face it byron was never on his own never single for very long it's also this um like when he brings it up the other love poems are very like me and you nothing else in the world sort of the two characters but he includes the wider world too. Includes what people are saying about him, and it's it's this acknowledgement that we relationships aren't in a vacuum. I mean, I'm having a look at Love's Philosophy because it's the opposite page of my anthology, and the only other character named is well, God, so not really a character. Porphyria's lover, just the two. There's metaphors of Arthur's farmer's bride mentions friends but this tells us that their relationship was both secret and public so I do I do love it poor old Byron he is such a drama person I mean she did not she cannot have meant that much to him considering as what we know about his life but this moment is supremely hyperbolic it's supremely elevated to being this moment where everything broke. for him and it is even though we're given all this sad imagery it has this beauty in it it's great in terms of connections when we two parted goes with neutral tones quite nicely actually because it's a breakup poem if you want to talk about romantics Shelley loves philosophy is a nice partner we could argue letters from yorkshire people not being together but we don't really want to mix up the family poems and the romance ones because that's a little bit Byron let's face it Winter Swans also works as well with the coldness and the sadness and the ambiguity but there you go I think I have exhausted my well of enthusiasm for We Two Parted since I am sticking to the earliest poems first next time we're going to have a little look at William Blake's London. Blake, another fantastic firebrand of the romantic (laughs) movement. Big fan of that guy. Have a wonderful time. I will speak to you very soon and have a great time annotating.